Hello, and welcome to the Autistic Reality Podcast. Here at Autistic Reality, we believe in three levels of identity. We believe that we are all human, traveling on our journey together, and that we have much more in common than what sets us apart. We believe that we are all individuals with richly unique experiences. And finally, we believe in the importance of all other identities, whether they be gender, race, sexual orientation, ability, faith, and much, much more. Join us on this wonderful journey as we interview key players and discuss important topics. We hope this journey will be informative and fun. We are ready. Nothing about us without us. So welcome everyone to this uh, disability rights tour of the FDR Memorial in Washington, D.C. I'm here with Jim Dixon. And Jim Dixon, what is your role with the memorial? I was part of the leadership team that fought to have a statue of FDR in his wheelchair added to the memorial. At the time, they were not going to show him as a wheelchair user. Mm -hmm. that's, that's very important since that was a big part of his life. And that's a big part of the lives of millions of Americans and people overseas. So um, just as a person, when you approach the memorial from the tidal basin, at the right time of year, you see a beautiful forest of cherry trees and they're framing the memorial and they, they form a great approach to the memorial. And then you get closer and you see uh, what is basically this ceremonial driveway that takes you in. There's a green uh, with cherry trees in it that uh, takes you into the prologue room. Jim, the prologue room is very significant to the disability cause. Can you explain that? Yes. It was going to be an empty sort of plaza before the memorial, but we wanted them, the first thing that people see is to see President Roosevelt as he was in his wheelchair. Um, and we wanted the presentation to not be to be life size and to not be up on a pedestal because we felt it was important that when parents bring their children to the memorial and they take pictures, one parent can stand behind the first president who used a wheelchair. And the other parent can stand behind the next president who uses a wheelchair. And that is a pretty powerful statement. And so I understand that there is, is, the, is first of all, it's the statue. I've heard it's like slightly larger than life-size or is it life-size? It's life-size. FDR was a big man. Before, well, when he would stand with his braces, he was 6'3", and 
always pretty muscular, but when polio came, he put a lot of time into building his upper body strength. Um, so he could lift his entire body easily with his arms. In fact, FDR designed the first therapeutic pool. Oh, cool. Where people could use their upper bodies while water partially supported their weight. Um, and a lot of people are using that these days. Yes. The other um, contribution that he made to improving the lives of people who are paralyzed is he designed the first hand controls and had them installed on his cars so he could drive himself. He loved to go out, drive through the country, loved nature. You mentioned the cherry trees that frame yes. the presence. Trees were very, very important to FDR. Um, he had people plant a bunch of trees when he was governor of New York State. He did that. It was The Depression had already started, and he thought he could put people to work planting forests. Yes. Um, actually, the Depression had not started. Wow. Um, but as he was governor from 28 to 32, but he did do a lot of planting, putting people to work. He also put, did a lot of planting. Remember we had the Dust Bowl. Right. In, and in we'll get 20s. to that with the second term. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the depression from what I understand started in 29, but it didn't really start working on it until he became president. So uh, then we've got on the back of the wheelchair, I always point this out to people when I take them, there's actually a set, a, a diagram of how he built his chair on the back of the wheelchair of the mm -hmm. statue. Yes, um, it was actually built, he took a kitchen chair from his home in uh, Hyde Park, New York, Mm -hmm. put bicycle wheels on it. It was one of the designs he had that wasn't quite as functional as it needed to be because to turn the wheelchair took a great deal of work because it did not have a set of small wheels in the front right. um, the way most wheelchairs do now so that they can pivot on a dime and I there is <coughs> excuse me there is now a short video of, I forget 12 18 seconds of him being pushed in the wheelchair. Right. And that's odd because they, they have a, uh, 
either a copy or an original of the wheelchair in the visitor center. And that, that is something that's a must see in my opinion. And, uh, and it doesn't have handles like most wheelchairs do. Right. Right. Um, again, his, it doesn't have push handles in the back and it doesn't have arms. Um, he, he had such upper body strength that he could, you know, put his arm on a, on a desk, you know, and leverage himself up. Right. So, so uh, in, in the bookstore, I've checked for a wonderful book that you recommended to me. Unfortunately, the bookstore no longer carries it, but I urge everyone to check it out. That is Splendid Deception. Can you tell us about that? Yes, it was written by Hugh Gallagher, also a uh, polio, who um, had a tremendous career, several careers, actually. Um, Splendid Deception is a shortish biography of FDR from the point of view of his being a wheelchair user. It was very important in bringing uh, together the coalition that was successful in creating the wheelchair statue. In fact, the little anecdote I told about taking a picture of the first president and the next president that was Hughes' language and his idea. We came up with it one day when we were saying, you know, we need a concise, powerful, emotional statement on how we want this statue to be presented. And FDR was somewhat of a perfectionist. I've been to Springwood in Hyde Park, his house, and there's this interesting set of notes he wrote his doctor. You see, FDR liked to think of his legs as being the same size. Turns out everybody's legs, one's a little bit shorter than the other, just how the human body is built. And he, he was disturbed by the fact that one of his braces was slightly longer than the other one. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was a bit of a perfectionist. Now, there's this quote on the wall behind the wheelchair, and then we can move to first term. Um, It's by Eleanor Roosevelt, and it says, Franklin's illness gave him strength and courage he had not had before. He had to think out of the fundamentals of living and learn that the greatest of all lessons, infinite patience and never-ending persistence. And it's also in Braille below the quote, at wheelchair height, I might add. Yes. During his lifetime, predates the active disability rights world movement. And it was their feeling that he had to hide his being paralyzed. Now, people knew he had had polio. And that quote from Eleanor 
is about the only time she, in writing, ever commented on his being paralyzed. She was a very strong person, too, and we'll get to her in the fourth term room. Now, um, there is also in the bookshop, there is uh, in the foyer to the bookshop, there's an official dedication panel. And then there is a display uh, near the entrance where you can run your fingers over a smaller facsimile of the dedication panel and over the panel's contents in Braille. Yes. Um, we at, at the National Organization on Disability had organized a coalition that fought for and demanded that there be a wheelchair, a statue of him in the wheelchair, which at the time was the first statue of any human being in a wheelchair. Um, Often in life, you have to be careful what you ask for because when we won and they said, all right, we'll put a statue there, go out and raise the millions of dollars to put the statue up. And these plaques commemorate the very generous donors who contributed so that we could have the statue. Yep. That that's uh, that's good. Now we are going. It's it's uh, important to recognize contributors. Now we are going to move to the first term room. Now every single room has a fountain, and the fountain is themed on a major theme of the room. The first term room is titled "The Great Depression." Can you tell us about some of what was going on in the country at the time? Yes. Well. 25% of the population was unemployed. Um, the uh, water in the first room, a little waterfall, is there to symbolize the Tennessee Valley Authority. That's in the second term room, I think. The, the first room is a straight drop, like the economy. The steps are in the second room. Okay. All right, thanks. Um, the water is there. Water was very important to FDR. He loved to be out on the ocean. He had been undersecretary of the Navy during World War I. And there's also a clever artistic and practical function of the waterfalls, which um, the memorial is underneath one of the flight patterns for National Airport. Mm. And, and the water is, the falls are there to create um, a pleasant background sound masking the overflight of airplanes, of jets when the wind is in a certain direction. Correct. And as, as I mentioned, uh, for you listeners, the first term room fountain is a straight drop. And uh, from the explanation, it says that it symbolizes 
the crash of the economy that led to the Great Depression. It is a straight cascade downward. That's what that fountain is. Um, now, in the entrance to the first term room, there's a seal that's carved over the ceremonial entrance, and there are a number of quotes. One of the primary quotes is, everybody knows this one, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, and that's from his first inaugural. There's also a relief under that quote. Is, do, you, do you have anything to say about that? I don't remember which... Relief uh, the right the relief is of FDR uh, waving to the jubilant crowd uh, as he passes by in his car, open top right. car. Right. Um, FDR stood, could stand with braces on his legs, and he had a bar installed across the back of the front seat. So he could lever himself up with one arm and then he would be holding on to the bar. You can't see the bar because um, it was below the level of the, the open car line. But that way he could wave, smile, people could see him. Correct. I also heard that there's a trick he used when he was at parties, both at Springwood and the White House, he knew that he couldn't walk among the guests. So what he would do is he would sort of install this, uh, it was kind of like a bicycle seat and he'd install it behind the bar and he would bartend and keep up with the guests that way. Yes, yep. He, he called late afternoon cocktail time, the children's hour. And while he did not drink very heavily, he was known for mixing very strong drinks and giving it to his guests. Yeah. I, I might also add, that seems almost like a, trip, a trick from LBJ's Lyndon Baines Johnson's tour book, because if you're your guests are political guests and they're inebriated, they may be more agreeable to your suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, okay, so the first term room is pretty plain, but then we head into the second term room, which is possibly the most sig the significant uh, room in the memorial. Now, I found that even the garbage cans in this memorial are designed to fit the theme with stone covers. And mm -hmm. also there are plenty of benches for seating. Yes. And one of the nicer statues is a seated person listening to a big old-fashioned radio in, in the 1930s. There was no such thing as a pocket radio or a portable radio or a radio on your cell phone. Radios were pieces of furniture. And FDR used what he called fireside chats to speak directly to the American public. And this statue depicts a person listening to the president as he explained major issues. Now, issue in, in one of his fireside chats, he said, 
I never forget that I live in a house owned by all the American people and that I have been given their trust. And that particular chat was interesting because he had decided that to support his New Deal administration, he actually needed to expand the size of the West Wing. And he needed to justify it to the people because that was a significant financial expenditure when we were uh, drowning in debt. So he did very much realize that he was a tenant of the people. He was a servant of the people. And uh, there are two more statues in that front part of the second room. There is a rural couple and there is a breadline. Any yes. comments about that? Well, it's interesting to note that in the breadline, they're all men because in the 1920s and 30s, it was primarily men who worked. Um, it's before the women's movement, World War II, of course, did a fair amount to bring women into the workplace. But again, 25% of the workforce was unemployed and standing in a breadline was how a person got food for himself and the family. Correct, and and that was that was in the cities. Now in the country, uh, we were undergoing a horrible drought, and lots of unwise planting had taken place where we hadn't established a good root system. And there was actually a gentleman who worked for uh, the forestry service, I think, who the only one who realized what had caused the dust bowl that there was nothing anchoring the soil down. And he did something very smart. He looked at his weather charts and then he decided to testify to Congress on a certain day. And then as he was testifying to Congress, a thick cloud of dust came into the chamber and coated everything. And he said that, ladies and gentlemen, is the state of Oklahoma. And to this day, if you drive through the Midwest, you will notice by farmhouses that are scattered, a little cluster, a lot. First, there'll be trees planted around the farmhouse, but there'll also be windbreaks planted. Um, an acre, half acre of trees that were in many places planted with federal funds as part of FDR's fight against the Depression. Right, and I uh, wanted to give a little shout out to the Colorado State Historic Museum in Denver. They built a new museum about five, ten years ago, and it is amazing. They have a, uh, you can sit in a, a theater that looks like you're in a cabin on the prairie, and they actually have the Dust Bowl happen as you go, you're in there. It's a very... Uh, moving sensory experience. Um, so uh, he, he came to office and he uh, said, let's see if I can pull up this quote. He, he said, I see one third of the nation, uh, I, I think it was ill-clothed, ill-housed, ill-fed, 
something along those lines. Yes. And so um, the next part of the uh, second term room has that TVA fountain. Tell us about the TVA and the fountain. The Tennessee Valley Authority was a major federal program designed to both put people to work for construction, but to also harness the water of the Tennessee River in order to make for better farming <clears throat> and um, it was um, one of the big jobs programs that FDR got through Congress in order to put people back to work. Now, there is a stereotype that is not quite true about people in the Tennessee Valley in Appalachia as being unintelligent and uninformed. Uh, that stereotype actually has its basis in the time before the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority, when people were just in that area. It's not that they were wantonly stupid, but they didn't have access to resources and to learning. And with the Tennessee Valley Authority and electricity, they all of a sudden had a better economy and they could go to school and they could learn and they could listen to the radio and they could be better educated and they could, and uh, the, the good things, uh, the benefits that that program did to that area were incalculable. Prior, prior to the TVA, rural Tennessee, parts of other parts of Alabama, Kentucky. Did, Kentucky did not have any electricity. It, it's also worth noting that President Lyndon Johnson went to work in the early days of the New Deal. And one of the things that he, President Johnson did, was bring electricity to rural East Texas. Yes. Now, there is, this fountain is staggered like steps, like a hydroelectric dam. And across from the uh, fountain is a series of columns and a wall with impressions. And you'll notice that each of the columns is like an old wax seal in the day of the Sumerians. You could, if you were to roll it along the impressions on the wall, it would make a mold. Tell us about that. Um, I'm having a senior moment here. Uh, sorry, it is the social programs mural. Ah, right. Um, the murals depict the various programs they were often called alphabet soup programs. So there was the TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority. There was the Civilian Conservation Corps, the CCC, which did the tree planting and which also made some of the very first hiking trails through our beautiful national parks. There were programs for farmers. There were programs for artists. 
The Works the Progress Administration? Works Progress Administration built roads, schools, libraries, bridges. Now, there are a few points of injustice to the disability community in the memorial and the social programs uh, panels along the wall are unfortunately one of them. Uh, it, uh, feel free to jump in here if you want. They, yeah, it's said, fake. That it, be, they said that they were Braille, but it does not, it's not readable Braille. First of all, very often on, on a couple of the panels, you have to be nearly six feet tall to be able to reach up to touch the Braille. The Braille is not, Braille is a series of six dots, combinations of them, dot one is A, dot one, two is B. But it's important that the dots be in, felt in relationship to each other. And the artist distorted the spaces and also made the dots much bigger than Braille. Mm. That's really unfortunate. Now, from just for guests to know, there is a uh, open fence between that area. The rest of the memorial is closed off from the rest of the tidal basin. It's pretty insular, but there is an open fence between that part of the second term room and the baseball fields nearby. And uh, that is to symbolize the community that the New Deal built and the feelings of hope that it gave people. So if you have no comments on that, then we can no. then we can move to, uh, let's see, there is a quote um, at the closing of the second term room. And that uh, quote has a lot of uh, meaning, especially today, we must scrupulously guard the civil rights and civil liberties of all citizens, whatever their background. We must remember that any oppression, any injustice, any hatred is a wedge des designed to attack our civilization. And then we go, I'm actually pulling up photo albums of the rooms here so that I know what I'm talking about. Um, then there is the third term room, which is the Second World War. And the first thing you see in there is a pile of big blocks with scattered words that say, I hate war on right. it. The blocks depict the rubble that war causes when it destroys property. Right. And there is, um, and as we mentioned, um, FDR had been Assistant Secretary of the Navy, and that was before he lost his legs. And he had this very powerful quote. Um, forgive me, you, you know, Jim, this memorial moves me so much that usually at least once when I walk through it, I'm, I'm moved to tears. Yeah, by, me too. By what this man did, you know. He, uh, we should not underestimate, this man saved the, the country from economic collapse and then helped save the world from tyranny. F FDR, FDR led the world out of the depression and to victory in World War II from his wheelchair. Yep. 
and that is very important. Now he said, I have seen war. I have seen war on land and sea. I have seen blood running from the wounded. I have seen the dead in the mud. I have seen cities destroyed. I have seen children starving. I have seen the agony of mothers and wives. I hate war. Yes, and you will notice that the statue of FDR that is across from this, he is looking at the rubble and his, his face on that statue is pretty grim. Yep. It's, uh, so before we get to that statue, which has a very interesting story to it, there is a fountain and the fountain is filled with rubble. As I mentioned, all the fountains in this uh, memorial have themes and the theme of this fountain is destruction. Okay. So um, it, it actually symbolizes the ruined cities of Europe and, uh, Asia. And, and Asia, yes. I do have to mention, because I am sensitive to other people, I've seen photos of what the Allies did to areas that were not at all involved in war production. And I would feel remiss if I didn't voice my deep apologies to people who we bombed into the Stone Age for no reason. You know, yeah. cities like Dresden that were, that were cultural areas that were... And, and in Japan, yeah, you know, every city in Japan was firebombed and heavily damaged or totally destroyed before we dropped the nuclear weapons on two of those cities. Correct. Now, there's the statue of FDR in his wheelchair. And uh, before we get to that proper, there is a companion he has. He has his dog, yes. Fala. Yes. And th that is noteworthy because it is the only statue of a presidential pet in a memorial. Yes. And, and and Fala was a Scotty dog. And mm -hmm. FDR would often speak about his dog. Um, and the dog had the run of the White House. Yes, and also, as you mentioned, that FDR traveled abroad significantly to go to conferences with the other Allied leaders, and he had this uh, cool railway built in his, uh, in his plane. His plane was, had a very funny name. It was called the Sacred Cow, and it was the first official presidential plane. And he had a railing built along the hallway so that he could say hello to the pilots as, and run, run from his quarters to the, to the cockpit. He also had an elevator built in the belly of the plane so he could come straight from the ground into the plane. So um, there is... This, a, yeah. this, this statue was important to our fight Right. Um, we, they had been tell, telling us, oh, the statue, he's sitting in a chair with wheels. But if you look at the statue, you cannot see any of the wheels. The only way you can see a wheel is if you go up on the pedestal, go to the back of the statue, 
bend down and look underneath it, and you can then see a wheel. And that's certainly not accessible to people in, in wheelchairs. And uh, there was also, from what I understand, a bit of a uh, lobbying controversy. You said you were passing notes to people under doors in the Senate? Yes, we, um, as part of the campaign, we, when um, the independent living centers were in town for a conference, a group of us went up to the Senate office where the Memorial Commission was housed. And being uh, movement people, we were chanting and singing. And as we came up to the doors, they closed them. At which point we began to write notes explaining why it was important to people with disabilities to show the president as he was. And we were slipping the notes under the door when the Capitol Police came and said, well, now you're going to have to leave or we'll arrest you. We had expected something like this. We made a decision as a group. We were not going to be arrested. And we turned around and left. And as we were leaving, a gentleman came walking very rapidly from behind us through the group. One of my colleagues said, Jim, that's Senator Inouye of Hawaii, who was the chair of the commission to create the memorial, himself a war hero, himself a person who had lost an arm in the war. So we spoke to the senator and he, there were about 15 of us, particularly the individuals who used wheelchairs, explained to the senator why it was important to them, what their story was. Several of them, as they talked, got tears in their eyes. He listened, nodded, and a, that was all he said. But as a sign of the kind of great man that Senator Inouye was, he eventually totally reversed his position. He had said that if they ever built a statue of me, I want to them to show it, show me with two arms. Mm. But by the um, end of our year-long struggle, he became a supporter of depicting President Roosevelt in his wheelchair. This statue that does not show his wheelchair um, again, in the way they sort of half hid everything, if you look carefully at his legs, yes. you, you will notice a ridge running down the outside of the legs. That yep. is the braces that FDR wore outside his pants that were painted black like his pants. 
and that could be locked so he could stand. FDR developed a system where he could appear to be walking. He would use a cane in one arm with one hand and then his son or a secret an aide who was strong would cock an arm and FDR would literally swing himself between that person's arm and the cane <coughs> using gravity and his stomach muscles to swing out a leg and appear to be able to walk. This, the Secret Service would have to bolt the rostrum that he would speak from down because otherwise him being such a big man as he was leaning on it, it would topple over. Right. We had a um, key victory in relationship to this statue. They, it was being built at a foundry in New York, and the commission had planned a unveiling of the statue to be a champagne and caviar brunch for the world's art and historic press to see the unveiling of the statue that was scheduled for 11 o'clock in the morning. The disability community in the area showed up at nine o'clock with 200 people, signs, don't hide his disability. Disability is part of life. FDR used a wheelchair just like me. And they decided they had to cancel the unveiling because the art press, some of them would not cross our picket line. Now, there is a uh, quote behind the statues of FDR and Fala. This quote is very relevant at any time, but it is especially relevant today. It says, they who seek to establish systems of government based on the regimentation of all beings by a handful of individual or rulers call this a new order. It is not new and it is not order. And I want, I want everybody to think about that. Now, um, uh, make sure if you go to the, that room to rub the top of Paula's head for good luck. There's also a pointer finger of the statue of FDR, which people tend to uh, rub for good luck. So then we go on to the fourth term room, which is really two rooms, a fourth term room and a concluding room. So when you're there, you see a still pool. The rest of them were fountains. This is a still pool with a mural, a relief mural of FDR's funeral procession. 
And if you, if you will notice the way they shape the wall and you go down a ramp, and this is the quietest part of the memorial. Right. In tribute to FDR's funeral. Right. And uh, when he died, uh, Hitler was in his last days and he thought that it would be a great turnaround in war. But that is the genius of American democracy. When Truman took over, we still ended up winning that conflict. And uh, you will see that there's still pool and there's the, the funeral procession and it symbolizes the death of the president. Now the president was at uh, Warm Springs at the time. He had a home in Warm Springs. Want to tell us about that home? Warm Springs was a uh, hot pools, you know, hot, natural hot water warm water, which FDR had discovered as part of a treatment for himself. He created the foundation there so that persons who were recovering from polio could go at no cost, communicate, learn from each other, work to recover as much physical function as they could, and in fact, he left half of his personal fortune to the Warm Springs Foundation, um, which is, exists today both as a treatment center and a research center. Now, he was, uh, if you go, there is... At uh, one of these places, I forgive me, I don't know where exactly, there is a memorial to the pioneers who helped us defeat polio. And it lists a number of doctors, but it also lists a number of laymen who were responsible for the elimination of polio. And he is listed as one of the laymen responsible. And he started the March of Dimes. Want to tell yeah. us about that? Yes. Well, during FDR's first term, people wanted to celebrate it. And they came up with the idea of a march of dimes to find a cure for polio. And amazingly, school children, I remember as a child, getting a little card and collecting dimes and mailing it in. And the first March of Dimes were held to celebrate FDR's birthday. There were fancy balls where high-priced donors could go, but FDR wanted something that everybody could do. And you could actually mail your dimes to the White House. And the White House then turned them over to the charity which eventually found, through Dr. Jonas Salk, a um, shot that every kid in the United States got in the 1950s to prevent polio. Yep. Now, FDR also used the, those funds from the dimes to build the White House swimming pool. 
the old White House swimming pool. Nowadays, it's been covered over and it's the press briefing room. But uh, he was a very avid swimmer. And uh, let's see. And then, so we... Uh, I, I would just add that it is probable he caught polio while swimming. Right. Either um, in a lake in New York where there was a boys camp for inner city kids or off of a family boat anchored off of the summer vacation home. Right. He, he supposedly caught it at an island, I think it's called Campobello in uh, the northeastern states. And that island, uh, you know, his legacy, he even personally, his family contributed things. Um, uh, his family contributed the land for the United Nations and his family contributed that island as a, as a site for peace conferences, international peace conferences. So we that is a good segue to what we're going to now. We are now going to the only official statue of a first lady in the memorial. Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, or Eleanor Roosevelt, was actually FDR's cousin. Uh, and uh, she became the first United States delegate to the United Nations after the war. Do you want to talk about something, Eleanor? Yes, she... she led the fight for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is the founding document for the United Nations, very similar to our uh, Declaration of Independence. She was FDR's political partner. Um, he in running for governor, um, his Eleanor did a lot of the traveling, did a lot of the organizing of the activists who worked on his various elections. Um, she, in some ways, everywhere. Yep, traveled everywhere. She wrote a daily newspaper column while she was in the White House. Um, she, she had her own staff. Had her own staff. Um, was very committed to ending segregation, ending poverty, um, you had mentioned employment of women earlier. I should note that uh, FDR appointed Frances Perkins to Secretary of Labor, and that was unheard of, a woman in a cabinet position. Right. And um, when FDR was first elected, only men were allowed to be as part of the press corps that covered the White House. Eleanor thought that's ridiculous. Her first step was she created her regular press conference and only allowed women to cover it. <laughs> and that then led to women being allowed into presidential 
into the presidential press corps. Also, I should note that um, when we were there in the in the past in 2011, a number of the uh, queer identified members of the internship class had their pictures taken with Eleanor because Ellie, Eleanor was at least bisexual and there are actually stories of her having um, affairs with people. He, he did too. He also had affairs um, in the White House um, and it was that sort of accepting one's alternate partners with quiet dignity that they, they were both working uh, a lot and when he died, when he died, he was in Warm Springs and he was having his portrait painted and, he, and I forget where it's displayed, but that unfinished portrait is still on display. And he, he suddenly said, I feel the most terrific pain in the back of my head. And he slumped over and he died from cerebral hemorrhage. In this memorial is the only reference in this fourth room is the only reference to FDR having not being able to walk. Correct. It is put on a flight of stairs, which, which had was at best insensitive. Um, it is a chronology of his life. And one of the steps says um, he never walked unaided again. That would have been the only reference to the fact that he worked and lived out of a wheelchair. Correct. Um, now, there have been studies since then where they've looked at his symptoms and they've run them past the diagnostic criteria of polio. And then they've also run them through the diagnostic criteria of Guillain-Barre syndrome. And they, there's now a general consensus in the medical community that he actually had Guillain-Barre syndrome because, uh, because he meets a lot more of the criteria of that than polio. Um, but the point is not what he had. The point is that he, he still managed to fix the entire world while not being able to move half his body. Now, there is, a, uh, there is another fountain, which is a combination of all of the fountains. It has the steep falls of the Great Depression fountain. It has the steps of the, the New Deal fountain. It has the crashes of the war fountain and it has the stillness uh, of the funeral fountain. And that fountain is beautiful. Now, from what I understand, they were originally going to allow people to wade in these fountains. Why didn't they? Um, public health reasons, essentially, that when they were developing the fountains, they said Washington is hot in the summer, it'd be great to let kids play in the fountains. But for public health reasons, they conclude they, they never allowed that. Correct. Now there is, um, 
there is uh, a final wall with his four freedoms, which I think we should all try to live up to every day. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Uh, this and man, I, w I would, yeah. would say that the freedom from fear and his statement, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, is most probably an awareness that came from having his disability and is experiencing that. Because those of us with disabilities know that it's fear that is much more debilitating and that can paralyze action much more so than any physical disorder. Well, that, that is uh, certainly true. And if you, if you, yeah, fear is way more disabling. You gotta tell yourself that you can do something uh, instead of what you can't do. Now I have, uh, I have uh, uh, autism and uh, I have a number of other things like OCD and bipolar. And uh, for those of you finishing this memorial tour, I would recommend you go to the Jefferson Memorial because according to current day scholars, Jefferson almost certainly had autism and it impacted his, uh, his everyday life. So, but we can talk about that on another podcast. So Jim, was there any other things you wanted to let us know about this memorial? Um, I just would encourage people to visit it, think about it. Um, it is a wonderful tribute to a great husband and wife team and to the values that as Americans we all strive to live by. Thank you very much. And thank you, Jim. And as I said in 2011, it's been an honor listening to you. I do view this not only as the FDR Memorial, but at present I view it as the memorial to the disability spirit in this country. And thank you for helping to embody that spirit. Glad to do it. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Autistic Reality Podcast. Autistic Reality is a sole proprietorship corporation focusing on disability and human rights advocacy, as well as writing, editing, photography, and pop culture criticism. You can find out more at www.nothingaboutuswithoutus.net. We're on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Autistic Reality and on Twitter as at Autistic Reality. In addition, we have an immense gallery of photos on Flickr under Autistic Reality. Start at the collections page for easier browsing. And Alex New's book, Vinny Vidi Autism, Second Edition, is available on Amazon. You can also find his pop culture endeavors and posts on Facebook at backslash V-E-N-I-V-I-D-I-A-U-T-I-S-M. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon.